Hello, this is Mike Van Meter. Welcome to the Recovery is Possible podcast. I want to thank you for joining me, and you can reach us at our Facebook site, which is also called Recovery is Possible, or our website, which is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com. As you know, this podcast exists to educate the public about addiction, remove the stigma associated with addiction, and offer help and support to those suffering from addiction. And so today, uh, we're going to be talking with Dr. Uh, Bo Nelson from FHE Health in Florida. And Dr. Nelson is the Chief Clinical Officer of FHE. And as you know, if you've been listening to this podcast, they are a new sponsor of this program. And we're really excited about that. I've been very impressed with uh, the work that they do down there. And they're a little bit different than some of the other programs that I've worked with. And Dr. Nelson is going to talk to us a little bit about that. And he is my first interview from the folks from FHE. And um, hopefully we're going to be doing a series of interviews with the good folks down there. And so with that, Dr. Nelson, welcome to the program. Thank you, Mike. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, you know, it's uh, so wonderful that we have so many vehicles to help educate people and to give them hope. And I always tell people that's really my over 20 years of experience. That's really what I do is I give people hope. And a part of that process is treatment for a lot of folks. And so I think it's helpful if we kind of talk today a little bit about what treatment is, demystify what that experience is, and, and kind of talk about why that might be useful for folks. And then I'd like to tell you a little bit about the model that we use, because mm -hmm. I think, uh, as you said, you know, we've, we've learned a lot over many years of providing treatment, not just at our facility, but in the field in general. And for a lot of folks, kind of understanding how this fits in and how it may be helpful to them is often very useful to them. So um, we can kind of talk about that a little bit. So absolutely. And so just so there are listeners know, you guys are located in South Florida, correct? Right. We are just north of Fort Lauderdale in Deerfield Beach. And our website is fherehab.com. And it gives pictures and all the info about it. But we've been around for about 20 years. Uh, we've been in the South Florida community. And we have uh, really kind of grown and changed over time to really meet the needs of what's going on for people and, and try to give them the support and the help that they need. So what? So for anybody that's new that's been listening to this, and I'm assuming that if somebody is listening to this podcast, either they or somebody that they know or they love, um, has a need to listen to this kind of a program. So let's just start with the big picture. What is treatment? Why would I need treatment? Right. Well, you know, let's think about recovery in the broadest terms. And so, you know, we talk about addiction recovery, but let's remember that really recovery is an all-encompassing term. You could have depression, you could have a traumatic stress experience that may lead to alcohol or drug use. Uh, people may or may not identify as an addict or somebody who needs that kind of help. And so I think we have to really look at this in a broad way that treatment is much like we deal with in medical, is that you've got an issue or a problem and you need to have specialized care towards that. Okay. And what sets you guys apart? Is there, is there something unique that you guys do that you may not see at other centers? 
Right. Well, it's uh, from this idea of recovery and treatment, we, let's first kind of take a look at the idea of saying, well, treatment can look like a lot of different things for people. And we happen to be a facility that people can come to and they can get an intensive treatment experience with a lot of different pieces that are innovative and effective in helping to meet the needs that they have. However, not everyone needs to go fly somewhere and be a part of an intensive treatment experience. They may be folks that can start seeing a counselor or attending a 12-step group, and they can get benefit from that. However, for some folks, that's not going to be enough. And really, we think of like intensive treatment as more like a reset. You've recognized that you have a problem you've tried to quit or stop or make changes. Maybe you've divulged even to a friend or just a coworker or whatever, a spouse that, I think this is a problem, but it, it's not getting better. In fact, if anything, it's probably getting worse and feeling more out of control, more anxious, and then it starts to have more effect on your life. You start missing work, uh, it creates problems at home. There are going to be a lot of different things that are going to start to deteriorate over time. And that's really when you need to stop and say, okay, you know what? I can't do this alone. And that's the process that for a lot of folks where they might have done a few little things or some smaller things and they just didn't seem to help the problem. Someone really needs to take stock and say, okay, you know what? I need help from someone else. I need to be a, have an experience where I can really focus on what this problem is, just like I would with a health condition. Sometimes you have to go to the hospital because your diabetes is so poorly managed. Well, that's important because if you don't, you die. It takes away everything. Your whole life gets into a bad space. And we talk about in the program, you know, kind of hitting bottom. Uh, everyone doesn't have to hit bottom. That's right. You know, you, and I think that's, you know, you may not be, you know, you think of, oh, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not living in the gutter. You know, I've got a job. I've got a family. I'm not a person with a problem. But the fact is, is for anybody who has been through that experience, either as a family member or suffering from addiction or mental health concerns, is that uh, this isn't living. No, it's not. It's funny that you you say that because I was in a discussion with uh, with a person last night, and they were asking me, and I'm sure you get asked this all the time. And as a as a peer uh, counselor in in my my organization, I have people say to me all the time, "Hey, Mike, um, my wife wants me to talk to you. She thinks I'm an alcoholic. Do you think I'm an alcoholic?" And I always answer that by saying, "Well, I I can't say whether you are or you aren't, but I'm going to ask you a question, and that is." Do normal social drinkers even have these conversations? Do normal social drinkers go to work and approach the, the peer counselor and even ask that? So, um, you know, maybe your thoughts on that, doctor. Um, to me, I, I've always looked at it. Maybe I'm incorrect about this. But to me, if you're having to ask yourself that question or if people that, that are close to you in your life are asking the question, then by definition, that's a concern, isn't it? Yes, it is. Um, I think anyone who has uh, self-awareness is going to kind of catch things earlier and have a concern. And again, you know, somebody might, you know, go out drinking over the weekend and then, oh, I just, I feel hungover on Monday. Well, again, you say, well, probably not an unusual experience, but if it becomes to the point, it becomes the point where you're saying to yourself, 
um, I think I've got a problem. Someone else is saying I've got a problem. Now I'm going to go find out from somebody else if I have a problem. Then you probably have a problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and you're at the point where you're asking somebody that's not related to you because, you know, I, if, if I'm a peer counselor at work, okay, your wife, in, in this particular scenario, your wife told you that. You know, right. people, people you care about, the people that live with you are saying this. And now you have to come to me for confirmation of it. And I think that that's uh, an indication of a problem. And I think for those that are listening, that if that's you, you know, if, if you are in that category, and I actually see that quite a bit, it happens quite a bit with me where people come up and ask me that question. Then like you just said, doctor, you know, you don't have to wait until you, until you lose things, until you lose that job, you lose that car, you lose that house. Why would you want to wait? Why not address the issue and address it now? Um, you know, earlier, the better, the earlier you find out that you have cancer, the better, right? You have a better chance mm -hmm. of fixing it. Diabetes. I mean, the list is endless of, of different diseases that you can, uh, right. that you can have that, you know, you wouldn't want to wait until you're in stage four cancer. You'd want to catch it, you know, earlier. Right. And, um, you know, so that's the, um, that's what you would want to do. Now, now your philosophy, because I'm, I am talking about disease, I'm, I'm sort of comparing alcoholism or drug addiction or mental health is, is a disease. Um, what's your philosophy on that disease model versus uh, maybe drinking too much as being a moral issue? Because I know there's a lot of people that feel that way. Well, uh, you know, I think it's, it's, a, it's a great discussion that we have now. I think rather than seeing addiction as something that happens to a select group because they have bad morals or bad character uh, is definitely a model that was out there for many years. And uh, as we've understood more with science, just like in medicine, there were a lot of illnesses that we didn't even know existed. So somebody with lupus came to their doctor and said, I've got all these symptoms. And the doctor goes, oh, well, okay, whatever. But then when we start to do more tests and we see how things are going on, we recognize, as we have with addictions, is that it changes the way your brain and your body functions. And so that's part of what you know I've been trained in, which is called the integrative behavioral health care, is that the idea is that you can't just treat alcoholism. I mean, again, it, it doesn't live by itself. And you say, oh, I'm just going to stop drinking. Well, good for you if you could do that. But the fact of the matter is something else is going wrong, too. You know, you've got to be able to look at the whole person. And the fact that somebody may be a little weaker or predisposed to social drinking or, you know, uh, influence of peers really doesn't matter. At the end of the day, I try to avoid the labels. You know, am I an alcoholic? Well, no, but you're a problematic drinker. Right. You know, let's, you know, again, there's not like you just create some threshold and you go, oh, well, now I'm an alcoholic because last week I was just a, a, just drinking too much. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. You know. and, and you raise a good point, too, because I have um, I have a lot of people I work with, and I'm sure you see these folks as well, mm -hmm. that say, well, you know, Mike, I uh, uh, I was sober. I was sober for two years. And then I don't know what happened. I just started drinking again. But I was sober for two years. And as I always say to them um, is, well, no, that meant that you didn't drink for two years. But sobriety, right. not drinking and sobriety are two different things. You know, sobriety is right. a state of mind. It's a spiritual condition, and, you know, depending on your philosophy of recovery. But that, that's how I look at it. Mm -hmm. And what I say to them is, like, and this is just dovetailing on what you just mentioned, doctor, and that is mm -hmm. the problem, the reason why you went back out and drank 
after two years because you clearly demonstrated that you can not drink for two years, but something happened. And that means that there's something else, something else that was not addressed. And I believe, and, and I'll, I'll see if, if you feel the same way, that I, I've noticed in my, my years of recovery, the problem is that we stovepipe these things, meaning, you know what your problem is? You drink too much. You know what your problem is? You take drugs. Your problem is you um, are addicted to pornography or whatever, and we stovepipe that. And what we don't do is we don't look at the whole person and realize, no, it's multifaceted. There's co-occurring disorders. There was something, the cause and the condition, something led to me drinking in the first place. And now mm-hmm. physiologically, biologically, there's a lot of things going on in my body that the, the normal social drinker probably does not experience. But what happens, <clears throat> if I can go almost nine years of without drinking, which I have, if I was to go back out to drink today, there would be something unaddressed in my life that caused that because I've proven I can go nine years without drinking. So maybe some thoughts on that. You know, it's, it's, you can't just address one thing. No, again, uh, human beings, both our bodies and our world are about systems. And so you, you really need to think about the ideas that our body does not require alcohol. You know, no one's ever gone sober from air. (laughs) It is not physically possible. (laughs) <laughs> but when you look at the different things that we choose in our constellation of things, you know, work, exercise, you know, eating, all the different things that we have choices over can all become somewhat compulsive at some point. And generally, we're trying to find a way to live in the body, in the life that we have. And so when it doesn't work right, we tend to overdo something. And that can be, for some people, temporary and for some people, chronic. But I always kind of tell people, I said, well, if if you're coming to me and you say you think you have a problem with drinking, I say, well, let's go 30 days without drinking. Because I'm not going to really know what's going on for you until we take the drinking out. It's true. As as anyone who's in the program uh, goes to AA or attends meetings knows, we have what we call dry drunks. Mm-hmm. And so we have people who stop drinking alcohol and they're just nasty SOPs who really have a, an attitude, anger, depression, whatever it might be underneath there, low self-esteem, whatever it may be. And so they stop drinking and they're not drinking anymore, but they're not happy and they're not living a life that anyone would ever buy on eBay. you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so... that's really the thing is it just, you know, we find ways to get through life. And for some folks, those are some, you know, positive at some point, but they become too much. We all know the person who works too much, or they're worried more about, you know, what they're buying at the store, you know, spending too much time on video games or whatever it may be. We just find something and and human beings are kind of like one hit wonders. If we find something that helps a little bit, then we focus on that one thing and we just start doing it more. And even at some point it stops working, but all we do is keep doing it. I like that. I've I've never heard of that analogy before. I like that. Yeah. It is. It's kind of like if you, if you, um, you know, you're the ugly duckling in in grade school or high school and you say, I'm going to start working out and you start working out and you start to feel good. You get the attention from folks. You're doing all this great stuff. Well, all of a sudden you're scared to death to let go of working out because you're going to go back to ugly duckling. 
and be lonely and miserable and feel low self-esteem. So you have to continue to exercise. Well, eventually your doctor says, hey, what your joints are, are just getting a beating. You need to cut back on the exercising. And you go, panic. I'm not going to, oh, what? No. Well, it's become more than just something in your life. It's become compulsive. It's become a means to an end. And that's the, what happens with addictions. You know, somebody takes a, a, a medication, you know, prescribed by their doctor. I have back pain. Okay, well, this works well. Well, if a little works good, how much is a lot going to do? <laughs> you know, and then all yeah. of a sudden you get to the point where you your body becomes dependent on it. You can't really imagine a day without it. And all of a sudden, maybe even your schedule changes. I know that I'm going to be drunk, uh, you know, at six o'clock. So I'm not going to, you know, go home. I'm not going to schedule an early meeting for the next day. All, all of a sudden, rather than this being a part of your life, it becomes the center of it. That's right. It becomes your, your life itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. So with that, because I, I agree with you, you know, you, you see people at meetings and, and they're called dry drunks mm -hmm. where they're not drinking, but they're not sober, meaning that they've not they've not had that that mental shift. So if, if FHE mm -hmm. in the program right. that you have, how do you uh, comprehensively address this? Uh, right. So if I was to go to FHE today, what is it that you do at FHE that maybe I wouldn't experience at other facilities? Oh. The idea of integrated care, so there's a, a whole field of study called integrated behavioral health care. And so we really got away from the idea of mental health. You know, people used to think of asylums and, you know, hospitals and, you know, oh, well, you're, you know, chronically depressed and you just, you know, get institutionalized. And then we think of addictions and all the different issues that people face, which has really grown. You know, years ago, when we, we think about, you know, people, alcoholism was a big deal. Well, you know, in the 1800s, they didn't know about uh, a lot of the other drugs that we had, you know, ecstasy wasn't around back then, you know, or whatever. It's all of a sudden we've seen a lot of things, even in our culture. You know, cocaine used to be uh, uh, manufactured by Bayer, a company that does aspirin, and it was available in pharmacies because its use was, uh, you know, for a medical purpose. Now, all of a sudden we see all of these different drugs, things that people, you know, family members don't even know. You know, somebody says, oh, well, your kid's doing Kratom. And they go, what is that? You know, it's, it's, it's grown some bit much bigger. So what we do in this integrated model is we really kind of look and we see the person as a whole. So your health, your behaviors, your mental status, your behaviors like with alcohol, drugs, and all that is all seen in one big light. And so when people come into treatment with us, they're usually in a bad space. And so something's happened to them. Maybe it's legal, maybe it's family, maybe it's health, whatever may be going on. So we address all of those areas for that person with them and with their families. So when they come in, they're going to not just be going into a counseling environment where, you know, you could talk with a therapist and that's nice. But one of the things we found is that, you know, people who are so married to their alcohol or drug use, uh, they're not really that interested in giving it up. And as I always, I had a patient who came to see me many years ago. Again, I've been in this for 20 years. And the guy came to me and said, well, my wife told me I need to come see you. 
And I said, well, why? And he said, because she tells me I drink too much. And I said, okay, so uh, do you think you drink too much? He says, well, I'm not really sure. And I said, this is how I see this going. You're going to go tell your wife you're seeing me and you're going to keep drinking. And he yeah. looked at me. <laughs> right? Yeah, and that'll fix that back problem that he's right. got. The wife's right. on his back. Yeah. Because his problem isn't his alcohol. It's his wife nagging him. <laughs> And so coming to see me and I said, well, that's not really how this works, because the idea is whether your wife's here or not, the ideas are what do you want for your life? And you have a right to drink if that's what you want to do, although your wife's probably not going to want you self-destruct. So figure out what you want. And if you want to come back and see me next week. Well, he didn't come back. So pretty much answered the question. But when people come to see us, so we try to kind of get them stabilized at first. So that we have like a medical detox because there's a physical withdrawal that yeah. happens. If you've been drinking every day for the past five years, it is not safe. And everyone needs to know this. It is not safe to just say, I'm going to stop because your body is going to have a withdrawal from that. Same with any other kind of drug. If you've been using this and some people get hooked the first time they do it. We see out there now with um, a lot of the different drugs that are coming out, drug dealers want to sell drugs. So what do they do? They make them more addictive. So sometimes all it takes is one or two tries and you're hooked. And if you stop doing it, your body has a withdrawal. So we do a, a medical detox. But in that detox kind of phase, you're, you're getting assessed as a whole person. So the integrated model says at the same facility, you have physicians who take care of your physical health. We know that addictions destroy the body. These are toxic substances or behaviors that change the way the brain works. So you get a physical where you're able to talk with a medical provider and we start to manage your health. We give infusions for vitamins and we get your body back to where you're eating and you're taking care of yourself so you can get the physical side working. And then there's some medications that help you to safely come off without having an adverse reaction from that withdrawal. But at the same time, we're going to deal with your life. You know, coming to treatment can't be, oh, I'm just going to go, like you said, the stovepipe of kind of, I'm going to take care of this one thing. It doesn't work that way. So we protect people's jobs. So before they even get there, we got a letter going out. You're getting FMLA. You're taking care of whatever those legal issues that are going on. We're taking care of working with your family to make sure that the kids are taken care of and all this other stuff. So we put all of those pieces just so we can give you even a chance. Then we include the clinical care with you. And so you're going to be meeting with a therapist. You'll be doing group therapy because group therapy is very effective. It's not easy to stop doing behaviors that you think are essential when you're just talking between you and a licensed professional. Much like Mike, you had said, you know, somebody comes to you and you go, yes, you're an alcoholic. Okay. Thanks for telling me that. <laughs> That's well, <laughs> great. We certified that. Okay. But yeah. now what? <laughs> Mike said, I'm an alcoholic. Well, you know what? I'm not going to call Mike this weekend when I'm going out to drink. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't do it, you know, that's, but again, being in a community of support, and that's what we find in 12-step programs is so effective, is it's far more effective to sit across the room from somebody who says, I was where you were, and I'm not there anymore, and let me tell you how great it is, rather than just seeing a therapist who's saying, hmm, well, your childhood was difficult. 
that doesn't make the change. And so, but we do a, a biopsychosocial assessment. So we see what's going on in your life. The clinician meets with you. We can do psychological testing. But a big thing that we do that's very important, and again, all these services are located in one place. And so, you know, we've got our own full service gym. We have a, a massage and acupuncture and all kinds of different treatments. A nutritionist meets with you. All of these things to take care of the whole person. But one of the big things that is uh, very important is that in 2016, the Society for Addiction Medicine said that this is, back to our question of whether it's a character issue or a medical, they said that this is a brain disorder. Substance mm -hmm. abuse addiction is a brain disorder. And what that means is that the brain changes, and it doesn't have to be that you've been using heroin for 30 years. The brain changes how it operates. And so even though you might want to stop doing pain pills, you can't because your brain has changed the way that it processes information. And the fact is, is that brain is all it's working on is getting more opioids. And so what we do is we actually treat the brain. And so we have a neuroscience platform where we're able to go in, every patient who comes in gets what's called a quantitative electroencephalogram, There'll be no test on this at the end. <laughs> and the quantitative electroencephalogram actually tells us how your brain is functioning. And I can look at a report and I can see, and I can tell you exactly all the symptoms you have just from seeing how your brain operates. I don't even have to talk to you. Wow. And you see, that's something that I noticed that FHE does that I've I'm not saying it's not done in other places. I've just not heard of it being done. I, I'm very fascinated by that part of your your process. Yeah, it, it's it's uh, again, you know, a lot of people, you know, white knuckle it. Uh, you know, a lot of people. I'm not going to drink this weekend. I'm not going to drink this month. You know, whatever. And but again, it just doesn't work. And so, not to say that it, for some folks it may. You know, some people can just go start going to twelve step meetings, stop the drinking, and and they're really better. But for other people, it may not be enough. And I actually see quite a few patients at FHG Health that you know have been through multiple treatments, but nothing's really worked. But the traditional model, you know, where it's basically you know just group therapy or just talking to a therapist, can be again very helpful, but it's not enough. And so, with the quantitative electroencephalogram or the QEEG, we're able to see what's going on with your brain. Then we develop an individualized protocol for your brain and how we can help that brain to get to a point where it doesn't need drugs or alcohol. Well, what I really like about that is it, it seems like a lot of centers that I work with and I, I refer people to, there, there's kind of a standard model, like a recovery model. Like if, if I say you're going to go to a 28-day treatment program, which is standard. Right. Um, I already have in my mind kind of what these people are going to be, what they are going to go through, what they're going to be exposed to, what they're going to be taught. And what I like about FHE is you guys add this additional component, meaning you're you're looking at the, what's going on in the brain, and then you individualize the treatment protocol for that particular client, which seems to be a departure from what a lot of um, – a lot of other centers are doing 
you know, where it's like this state, it just seems like there's a standard model for, for a 28 day treatment program. And you guys yeah. seem to deviate from that and, and really individualize it and look at the whole person yes. and, and really suss out those co-occurring uh, disorders that may be, may be going on and contributing to the addiction. Right. And there's, and again, there's multiple layer the neuroscientist is kind of the, you know, the flashy kind of, Oh, wow, this is really different. But this whole idea of the model that we operate on is that we really want to individualize care. And so what that means is that you're doing this on multiple levels. So we're doing it with your health. So you are pre-diabetic. So we're going to work with you to get your medication stabilized. We're going to do your blood work. We're going to make sure that you're on the right medications. We're going to make sure that you are at optimal functioning of health. Then we do with psychiatry. So a psychiatrist meets with you and they take a look and say, well, you're antidepressant. This is, this is really helpful for people who are at your stage of life and, and facing what you're facing. So we maximize that. Then we have our physical, you know, gym that you're able to do, learn exercise. You meet with a nutritionist to learn healthy eating. You're able to participate in activities that are very useful for you. And so, it, again, it's multiple levels. But, again, we're treating everything from the brain to the feet. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And I think a lot of people forget that. I, yeah. I think a lot of people forget that the addiction and these are the issues that we're talking about. It's not just one thing. Maybe you got health problems. Maybe you've got. I mean, for example, let's say you're addicted to opiates. Well, why? You know, what? What? How did you start opiates in the first place? And I know, uh, but the profession I just retired from is, you know, injuries on the job. Very common yeah. in the profession I had, military. Very common that you know you didn't start out as an addict. It was, hey, I got I got injured in the job, and uh, the doctor gave me opiates, and and the next thing you know, I'm on the verge of losing my job because I'm addicted to these opiates. Right. There was something that caused it. And, you know, so, okay, well, we can wean you off of uh, opiates, but the problem is now you still have that pain that caused you to go in to get the right. opiates in the first place. And in addressing that, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the, 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 you know, people don't do things in a vacuum, it doesn't mm -hmm. seem. I mean, you know, you started doing these, uh, engaging in these behaviors for a reason, and we have right. to address that reason. Right. And, and again, it could be multiple things. We're thinking about, uh, again, with the brain and addiction is that it's, it's not just the, you know, oh, I'm, you know, I'm so fragile that I can't deal with my childhood. No, the fact is that your brain changed because you had a traumatic experience, a first responder, a, a traumatic childhood. Again, you go, well, Again, this isn't just something where you just talk to somebody and it just goes away. It can be helpful. And there's lots of different ways that we do in psychology and, and, and use different methods. But again, there, this changes the way your brain functions. And so the idea, just like you said, Mike, with a 28-day treatment, well, you know, actually that 28-day treatment doesn't, doesn't have any scientific basis to it. We actually know that to really change behaviors, that there's uh, studies have been done that it takes 90, 150 days to really engage in a change process. And so much like we say when people leave treatment, we recommend 90 meetings in 90 days. And we talk about, well, why, why 90? Well, because I have plenty of people who go in one meeting and say, this isn't for me. You know, like, oh, I know everything about AA or I know everything about this, but you don't. And you really have to get into a new life 
you know, step yeah. out of where you were. And you're right for whatever myriad of problems might have been going on, but you really need to make a change. And that's why, you know, again, whatever treatment for you looks like, whatever that long-term picture is, it's, it's not a cookie cutter. And so I have a lot of people who come in for detox for seven days and they said, I'm leaving. And I'll tell you how, right, more often than not, they come back and go, boy, that wasn't enough. Well, I'll do another seven days. <laughs> give me the drugs you know, and, and then I'll be better. And it's like, well, again, I, you know, I, if I had a friend who was really overweight, I wouldn't say get a seven day gym membership. <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> I don't think it just like I often equate it to learning a language. I said, Oh, you know, I want to go to France and before COVID, obviously I want to go to France. Well, I want to learn French. Well, if you go to one language lesson a week for 45 minutes or an hour, it's probably going to take you a long time to learn French. <laughs> it is. You're probably not going to be ready for France. But if you go to an intensive experience for 90 days, I bet you're going to be quite a French speaker. And on top of that, and and I know that a lot of people that I work with, it, it, it they do that and they can do it for a period of time. But I think it's important for the listeners to understand mm -hmm. that when you do these things, the, the point of being there for 90 days or longer, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I really found that my first year of recovery I devoted, in fact, I was talking to somebody about this last night because they asked me what I did. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know something, I, and this was me, again, this is an individual thing. You know, people mm -hmm. operate differently. For me, what worked was I just buckled down, got in, I was, I made the decision. I was either all in or I was all out. And I decided to be all in and I spent my first year, my first year of recovery doing nothing. The only thing I read was recovery literature. Um, mm -hmm. I went to a lot of meetings, sometimes yeah. three times a day. I went to work. I went home. I went to meetings and I read recovery literature and uh, yeah. started repairing my body, you know, got into a, a workout routine, a health routine. And I did that for a year. And I, I didn't go to Christmas parties. I didn't go to New Year's Eve parties. I It was just me and my family at home, ironically, the the holiday season that year was one of, probably one of the better holiday seasons we ever right. had because right. no drama, no family, no nothing, just us. Um, and that worked for me. But it, it wasn't, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm not saying that everybody has to do that, but I'm saying it worked for me. But what it did, it demonstrated that I was committed to not just changing some things in my life. I was going to change everything in my life right. because whatever I was doing prior to that year, sure as heck wasn't working well for me. Right. And uh, I will tell you that the lifestyle I live now is much better for me than it was prior to that. And and that's I think that's what it is, is you, you have to commit to just doing new and better things. Because uh, frankly, if what you were doing was working, you wouldn't be here, you know? Right. Well, and, and I think uh, as we're kind of finishing up and, and, and kind of looking again at this message of hope is one of the things I always really try to stress for people is that you didn't uh, come into recovery and sobriety just so you could only do sobriety and recovery. And some people right. need a long term. They really, you know, they're tough nuts to crack, <laughs> you know. And that but, was me. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and but part of it is also too is that one of the things that people forget and is that you've got to develop that life that you want to live. And so there is a place for fun and enjoyment and fellowship in this new life. And so some people take this on as like another job and I'm going to get sober. But 
I think it's really important that, you know, we kind of look at the whole person and we say, well, you know, again, there's got to be different pieces to figuring this out. It's complicated. It's not just one thing, just like we talked about earlier. You can just stop drinking, but that doesn't mean everything goes away. And that's part of the way the brain processes. Speaking of kind of treating the whole person, the brain actually gets into a mode for instant gratification or a drug, like let's say someone's on amphetamines. If you're on amphetamines, you're not going to get that high or that happy feeling. Sometimes for two, three years, your brain has to heal itself. Again, that's why we use the neurosciences platform because we can actually help people do that faster by treating the brain directly. But there's a, a real process. Just because you stop the substance doesn't mean that life changes. But the idea of that commitment, like you're talking about, Mike, is really important. Mm -hmm. And it's a day-to-day -day thing. You don't just say, I'm going to stop drinking for the rest of my life. Or I'm just not going to use opioids again. And the idea says, what am I doing today That's right. for myself? And I'm going to be sober for the next minute. Not the rest of my life. The next minute. What am I going to do to make my life the best it can be for this minute? And if you piece those minutes together you make a pretty good story. Yeah. And then you put together an hour and then you put together yeah. uh, right. a day. And, and, and that's a very important point that mm -hmm. um, I, I never looked at, you know, like I have nine years now and I could not have imagined that in the beginning, but I didn't have to. What happened was it was just, I just looked at every day. I'm just going to work on today. Right. And then before you know it, a week goes by, then a month goes by, then a year goes by. And um, and sometimes I kind of look back and go, wow, I can't believe it's been nine years because I never right. looked at it in, yeah. at that. I never looked at that length. It was just, what am I doing today? And and I don't want you to think that I was in some sort of Spartan draconian type of lifestyle. <laughs> right. uh, it, I was pretty hardcore about it in the beginning, but I think that's sort of my personality. Again, this is an yeah. individualized thing. That was me. It worked for me. That may not work for the next person, but I will tell you, but going back to the fun is yeah. by not drinking because that that was my drug of choice was was drinking yeah. um now uh i my life is so much better i do so i'm involved in so many different things that i would never have been able to do if i was still drinking but this podcast is one of those things this right. would never have happened never have happened and even um, in that first year, Mike, yeah. again, you know, whether it was spending time with your family, yeah. all of a sudden you notice that dad's not, you know, all weirded out from the alcohol use, that you're enjoying time with your kids. Mm -hmm. Man, I've ever thought about that. You're having a nice conversation, seeing your wife laugh. You know, again, it's going outside and doing some yard work and feeling the sun and feeling good. A lot of these things, again, are part of that process. Yeah. that we start to do. And then again, you, when you started, if you'd said, oh, nine years from now, you're going to be sober, you'd go, oh my God, that's too much. That's impossible. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then, but now that you look back on it, you go, I don't ever want to go back mm -mm. to who I was. No, no, I, I couldn't. I, I, I couldn't. You know, and the funny yeah. thing is I've had, I've had some help. I was injured. I was in a cycling accident and I, uh, uh, yeah. it, I think six years sober, I was, I was in a cycling accident. And so I had to go through surgery and they had to put me on some, uh, you know, medications for surgery. Mm -hmm. And I remember, you know, so here I am taking this medication. I couldn't get off of it fast enough because like I had gotten, you know, six years of my body being clean and getting up mm -hmm. and, and, and being alert all the time. And I just, the feeling of the medications they had, I, I hated it because I, I felt slow. I felt sluggish. Right. I didn't feel alert. And I was like, 
I, I don't even want that. And I remember that was a big fear that my wife had was, oh my gosh, you know, now yeah. he's going to get addicted to these things. But the nice thing, the nice thing is I just been so used to at that point, just being clean that I didn't mm -hmm. like it. And I, I just, I took, took what I needed, got off of it and, and moved on. Yeah. And we don't have so, to live in fear, you know, of everything's mm -hmm. like, oh, well, you know, you, oh, well, now what are you going to be addicted to? You know, what now are you, oh, how many podcasts can you do in a day, Mike? Mm -hmm. you know, whatever, you know, that kind of feeling. It, it doesn't have to be that. Part of it is just, it's just like if you start eating clean, you know, people talk about all the time, they go, boy, not eating fast foods and not eating mm -hmm. processed food. I just feel better. My energy's better. I'm sleeping better. Well, mm -hmm. you're probably going to be less likely to go back to that old way. It's just not going to feel good. And yeah. that's part of the it? blessings of long-term recovery. And by long-term, I don't mean, you know, you can see somebody at three months and they're still struggling maybe, yeah. but they're looking at their life going, what's happened in the past three months that I've been trying to do for the past 30 years, <laughs> you know, you just see the difference and good behavior builds the, it does. The, the good feelings, the chemicals start to release in your mind. You start, your body feels better. Your relationships are better. Those are the gifts of recovery. And again, treatment may be a part of that journey, but it's just a, a window of time. And then after that, it's still up to you for your life to be what you want it to be. And if you choose alcohol, so be it, you know, that's your choice. But I haven't found a lot of people who really found a better marriage or a better life or a better body at the end of a bottle. I've never found anybody. That, mm -hmm. In fact, I, I've had people come into meetings after they've relapsed mm -hmm. and never once have I heard them say, you know, I'm so glad I relapsed. Was that was such it. a great experience. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad that I did. I've never seen that. And no. and uh, and surround yourself with positive people because it yes. is a good life. And yeah. uh, so, Doctor, uh, we really appreciate you joining us. One more time, um, so the listeners, yeah. if they want to reach out to either you or uh, FHE, you know, how do they get hold of you right. uh, again? Well, our website is fherehab.com, and it's F H E and uh, health fherehab.com it's fhe health is our company and again we're an alternative for folks that really need help and we i have a full team of admissions counselors who can talk with people about their individual situations talk about what we offer and then look at that insurance pays for that again we can protect people's jobs we'll work with your families all those kinds of pieces and all it really takes is a call and let's start the dialogue Oh, that's fantastic. And I, and I know that uh, the great folks down there have had a yeah. great experience uh, with FHE. And, um, you know, so folks, if you're out there, if you're listening to this podcast and this is something that relates to you, check it out. It doesn't hurt. It yeah. absolutely does not hurt to, to check it out. Check out the website. Give them a call because I'm telling you, life absolutely does get better. And, and so as I'd like to say, you know, I don't represent um, any groups out there. I know we talk about some different 12-step groups. There's a lot of different groups that are out there. Um, as we've mentioned in this podcast, you do what, what, what works for you, but do check them out. And so our only purpose in giving this information is to share with you uh, what we've done because it, it's, mm -hmm. it's helped us and maybe it's going to help you too. So, if you know, if we said anything that doesn't apply to you or you don't agree with, then just discard it. But try to take information that you can use for yourself to help yourself and to help others as well, because that's what we do in recovery. We help ourselves along the way as we help 
to impart the knowledge we've gained uh, with others as well. So with that, visit my website uh, or my Facebook uh, page, rather, which is Recovery is Possible, and my website, which is VanMeterWellnessSolutions.com. Let me know how I'm doing. Let me know if there's a topic that you're interested in hearing about because I'd love to hear from you. Guys, take care, and we will see you next time.